good morning, everyone. Welcome to Livingstone Church. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Wow, it's been an interesting week, huh? Um, God is good, and uh, we're glad to be here through a lot of discussions and, and prayer and just kind of hearing what's going around, going up, going around. I got to watch my, um, got to watch my metaphors this morning. Um, in all seriousness, uh, you know, I think most of us are aware of what's happening. We're, we're monitoring the situation. Uh, we're not coming here and just saying, we don't care what anybody says. We don't care what the city says, or we don't care what the governor says. We're just going to gather together because that's our right. Uh, we're not trying to be defiant. We want to be wise. I, I did send out an email on Friday night. Uh, if you're not yet on our email list and you're kind of a regular here, let me know. I think most people are on it, but we'll try to keep stuff on Facebook. I uh, don't have anything on the website yet, but we'll we'll get to that and uh, keep you updated on, on future changes. If anything changes this week, uh, I was just talking to a friend in Georgia, and they've canceled all, like their governor said, no religious meetings at all can gather. So if that happens in Wisconsin, then we'll go from there, and we'll, we'll see what happens. So, um, but in light of all of that, uh, we are reminded that our hope, right, our hope is not in the comforts of this life. Our hope is not in the comforts of this world. Uh, we want to be wise in, in stopping the spread of the coronavirus, but um, our hope is in the Lord, and we gather to worship him, to praise him, to remind ourselves that that's why we're here, uh, and, and to not live in fear. So all that said, uh, on the way in, you should have grabbed a couple things. Uh, worship guide will be a helpful way to follow along in the service. If you didn't grab one of those yet, those are on the table in the hallway, and then a songbook. Um, inside of the worship guide, there's a couple announcement sheets. Uh, the first one, you'll see the American Gospel film that we're planning to show on April 18th. Uh, again, I don't think we're probably going to have more than 250 people come for that. So if those same restrictions are in place, we'll probably still be having the American Gospel movie. Uh, this is part two of a series. Uh, we did uh, the first one, American Gospel, Christ Alone. Now this is Christ Crucified. Uh, great film. And I uh, would love to have you come out and join us for that. You can, you can go on and, like, watch some previews and stuff for that. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, the next thing I believe are this week community groups. I know our community group is going to not meet this week. Um, the Mott's and Racine's tonight is not meeting. I don't, did the Frasers, did you guys decide? Are you, you'll, okay, and you'll let people know. And then you guys are still deciding? Okay, so Lima Molesky group is still up in the air. Um, again, we'll just keep communicating about those things. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we are actually, we don't normally do this, but uh, we're recording the whole service today, and we're going to make it available online, and the worship guide is going to be available for people. So if you're at home sick and you're listening, we love you, we're praying for you. <laughs> Um, feels weird doing that, but um, yes. So, so we're making that available. So, in the next couple of weeks, if you know if you're sick and and not able to come, we'll probably do the same thing as long as these restrictions are in place. Um, one thing this week that was encouraging to me, I was uh, texting a little bit with Dan Breed, at a, the pastor at Emmaus Road, and about some different things when the NBA season was canceled, and then talking about what we're going to do with church and and how the world around us is reacting and. 
two different times he said, what a great time to be a Christian. And I thought, exactly, what a great response, right? What a great time to show the world around us that our hope is not in trying to not get sick, right? Our hope is not even in not dying, right? Our hope is in Jesus, and we have a great opportunity, I think, to, and I've been in some places where I've tried to have some conversations with people, and especially if you get people on both sides of the issue, like, it gets pretty heated, and, and people have a lot of strong opinions, but if we can have opportunities to remind people that our hope is not in all of this stuff, right, in this world, and we're going to be talking about that quite a bit today. Um, our call to worship is from Psalm 46. There's a bunch of Bibles around. If you don't have a copy of the ESV, uh, you'll need that. So you can just grab, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and somebody can pass you one. There's a bunch. I just put them on the, on the edges there. Uh, we're going to be doing our, our call to worship and our confession of sin uh, from Psalm 46 and then from Psalm 51. I didn't have room to print it all in the, in the worship guide, so we'll just be reading it together. Psalm 46 is on page 471 in the Pew Bibles. So you can go ahead and turn there. And again, what we want to declare, what we want to remind ourselves and what we want to declare to the world is that our God reigns, that he's with us, right, that he's in control and that we have nothing to be afraid of. So let's do that as we have our call to worship. I'm going to read the odd verses, and you can read the even verses in, in response. And then we will, uh, then I'll pray, and then we'll sing Psalm 46 after that. Uh, let's stand together for our call to worship. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning... As we come to worship you, as we come to fix our eyes upon you, upon who you are, upon what you have done for us, upon this reality that you are with us, that you are our fortress, that you do not change. Though the kingdoms rage, though the world around us totters, you are not shaken. Your kingdom is not shaken. God, as we come bringing all the distractions 
from this week, bringing all the fears and the anxieties of the weeks to come. God, would you lift up our eyes? Would you take our eyes off of the things of this world? We want to be wise. We want to be well prepared, but we don't want to dwell in fear and anxiety for what is unknown. We want to rest in you. And we do pray for all of those who are not able to be with us this morning, who are, who are sick and who are, are staying home. Lord, help them as they meet with you. God, we pray that they would um, be able to spend time in your word, spend time meeting you in prayer and worship. And Lord, that you would encourage and comfort them. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that your promises are true and that we can rest and hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we sing Psalm 46.
One of the things I've noticed, especially this past week, and commented on a few times, uh, made the comment that everything that's going on right now, I think, really exposes our idolatry. It exposes our idolatry as a culture, and I think it exposes our idolatry individually, right? It's easy to sit back and, like, read all the news articles and, like, oh, all those people buying toilet paper and this and that and all these crazy things, right? But we need to look at our own hearts, right? We need to look at what we are trusting in. And even if we're not, like, freaking out right now about the coronavirus, the reality of what's going on in the world should cause us to look inward. It should cause us to look at our own hearts and our own sin. And to say what we really need right now, what this world needs, is not deliverance from this virus. What this world needs is deliverance from sin and death and the consequences of those things, right? We need to have our sins dealt with. We need to be assured that we are forgiven and we are in right standing with God before any talk about any virus. And you can't get that assurance from the 24-7 news cycle, right? You can't get it from reading everything you can and following all the statistics, and I'm doing those things too, right? But our assurance can't come from those places But we can get it from the unchanging word of God. And I would encourage you over the next couple weeks, we're in the Psalms here for our call to worship. We're going to be in Psalm 51 for our confession of sin. If you're struggling, if you're wrestling with all these things, go to the Psalms. What better place in scripture to go to see people who wrestled with maybe not the coronavirus, right? But wrestled with people chasing them down. David is running for his life, right? I mean... I think I'd rather be, have a fear of some virus that maybe I might get than being, having people chasing me, wanting to kill me, right? So go to the Psalms. Go to the words of God's servants who wrestled with these things, who wrestled with fear and anxiety and worry about things that were beyond their control and find comfort and refuge there. So as we do that, let's... Confess our sins to the Lord. Psalm 51, if you uh, have the Pew Bibles there, that is on page 474. Uh, We'll be doing verses 1 through 12 for the confession of sins. So same way, I'll read the odd verse. You can reply with the even verse. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Let's take some time to go before the Lord and confess our individual sins to him. Amen. Well, friends, the good news of the gospel is that if you are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from him. No sickness, no pain, the worst situation you can imagine yourself in, not even death itself can separate you from him. Let's go back to Psalm 51, and we'll do the same thing, the call and response, verses 13 through 17 for our assurance of pardon. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let us stand and continue to worship. Let us open our lips and declare God's praises as we sing number 23 in your songbooks, Come Holy Ghost.
We're in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. If you have the Pew Bibles, that is on page 862. If you're a note taker, there's a place on the back of the worship guide there, a little outline there. title of the message this morning you'll see is how or how not uh, to build a kingdom. And my opening line was going to be, well, it's that time of year again. And I was going to talk about the NFL draft being five and a half weeks away. And it's incredible that on Monday of this week, uh, there were some talks of some big changes, like no fans in arenas uh, for NBA games, and by Thursday night, uh, we learned that the entire NBA season had been postponed, and other sports as well that are suspended until further notice. Uh, And this is not the main point of this passage, so I don't really want to dwell on this point too much, but it's amazing how something like this that's so beyond our control can put so much fear into our hearts. And as I said earlier, I think at the core, this does expose some of our idolatry as a culture, and it exposes some of our individual idolatries as well. And I do want to be careful here, like I said before, I think there are legitimate reasons to be sad. Uh, There are good reasons to take precautions right now. Uh, Speaking of the sadness, uh, I didn't feel this as as much personally, but kind of in my family. Uh, Friday morning, I turned on the TV to watch the uh, girls' state semifinals basketball game. My uncle is a coach back near my hometown. They've been to state the last three years. They're on an amazing undefeated run, and they're looking to win it all again this year, right? And turn on the TV, and I got turned on the TV a little late, and the game wasn't on. So I was like, huh. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's on the radio. Maybe they just, you know, with they were going to still have the games as of Friday morning, and then go to the radio station thing online, and it says cancel. I'm like, what? I called my dad, and he's like, yeah, they canceled the games. Like, they were all up there ready to go, right? Last two games, and I'm thinking about the senior girls who have worked so hard, and I know what it's like to play high school sports and all the effort you put in, and I can't imagine getting to the end. You're right at the end, right? The the NBA season playoffs hadn't started. I know basketball, college basketball playoffs were just starting, but they're like, they're there, right? They're ready to, to play for the gold ball, and then they have to go home. And it is sad for them, right? But I also pray that they can find their ultimate hope in something more rewarding than just being able to lift up a gold ball, right? Because they're not going to find their ultimate hope and purpose in life in that. It also hit home for me. Uh, when we got a, a newsletter from our friends, we actually got the newsletter in the mail. Our friends in China got the newsletter in the mail the day before they sent out the email to all of their supporters. But they sent out their newsletter and told about how uh, Jenny, the wife, actually got pretty sick. And there are a lot of coronavirus cases in their city and even in their neighborhood. So she went and quarantined herself for two weeks in Joey, her husband Joey's office. He's got an office in a, in a separate building. So she just went and lived in his office for two weeks. And they talked about how challenging that was. Listen to what Joey said in his email. He said, fear and anxiety are sinister and that they can creep up before you before you even have a chance to catch your breath and realize it. And sometimes we can fight so hard to see the silver lining only to experience further disappointment or even hurt. 
And yet the good news of the gospel isn't that our immediate circumstances will improve or that my unhealthy tendencies will go away. No, it's that in the midst of all of this, Jesus is present with us through his spirit in spite of our unworthiness. Wash those hands, clean those phones, and remind yourself and your loved ones of the person and work of Christ. And if it's all you can do to try and stay calm but yet still freak out, remember it's okay. In our humanity, we're simply not able to protect ourselves from everything, even our own emotions. May the spirit who led Jesus through the wilderness to broken and hurting people to suffer on the cross and also out of the tomb bring you courage and peace. I feel like I could just say amen to that and we could go home. But I do want to get back to my NFL draft introduction. Whether the draft happens on schedule or not, the reality is is for for these NFL teams, this is a very important time of year. Coupled with the free agency period where they're looking at getting guys from other teams, teams are looking to restock their rosters. They're looking to put together the best possible, the most talented team so that they can try to win the, the Super Bowl, right? But in the draft process, teams are not only looking for the biggest and fastest and strongest players. That's very important. That's a huge part of it. But character matters too. You hear stories about guys who are a cancer in the locker room, right? Or you hear coaches and players talking about the importance of the culture of the team. In other words, team dynamics plays a huge role in the success on the field. (coughs) Excuse me. I think it's pretty rare to see a, a, a team that's successful throughout the season that makes it far, that just has a totally dysfunctional locker room. So where am I going with all this? Glad you wondered that. First, let me bring us up to speed with where we've been in Luke for the past several weeks. We've seen Jesus' public ministry kicked off in chapter 4 after his 40 days of temptation by Satan in the wilderness. We've seen him preaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, delivering people, healing people from sicknesses, casting out demons. We've also seen opposition from the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, who some of them have come all the way from Jerusalem to come and to try to trap Jesus in what he's saying, to try to accuse him of blaspheming God. And throughout all of this that's been going on, just in a couple chapters here, Jesus has already called four disciples to follow him. Peter and James and John in chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, after that miraculous catch of fish, and then Levi, or Matthew, immediately after that. Now we come here to Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and it's draft time. And Jesus is first up on the clock, and he doesn't just have the number one overall pick in the draft, he's got the first 12 picks in the draft. And what's he going to do? Is he going to pick the best and the brightest stars The guys who went to the best schools with the best GPAs. The guys who are going to be the best team players and help build a healthy culture so that the kingdom of God can expand and just take the world by storm. Well, let's go to our text and let's see how Jesus approached this. Luke 6, beginning in verse 12 through verse 26. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, 
and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who was called the Zealot and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need your word, and we need to hear from you through your word. Not just today, not just in the midst of our current circumstances, but always. Father, may you speak to us this morning clearly from your word. May you show us what it looks like to follow Jesus, what the call is to be a follower of Jesus, what discipleship looks like in the kingdom of God. May we, may we be those who hear and who obey by following Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Again, if you're taking notes, there's an outline there on the back of the worship guide. You'll see the first point there is choosing the kingdom building team. We see that here in verses 12 through 16. Notice the first thing that Jesus does. Before making this very important decision of choosing these disciples, notice what he does. What does it say? He stayed up late reading all the disciples' resumes and doing background checks so that he could keep the riffraff off of his new team. No, he prayed all night. Have you ever prayed all night long? No, he prayed all night long. Jesus modeled dependence upon his father for the choosing of the 12 apostles from the word go all the way through until the very end. Jesus didn't just pray in the beginning and say, okay, I'm going to choose these guys and then I'm not going to pray anymore. John chapter 17, at the very end of his ministry, again, he prayed for his disciples. He's praying, not maybe all night long, but he's praying at night, praying probably long prayers. What is he praying? He's praying for their protection from the evil one and he's praying for their sanctification in the truth. 
And then this is what Jesus said to the Father in John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. Just pause and let that sink in for a moment. Jesus' prayers for his disciples are not disconnected from his prayers for us as we sit here this very day. And what did he pray for? He prayed for unity, and he prayed for our witness to an unbelieving world. Again, let that sink in for a minute. And look then, after that, look at this list of names and let it be an encouragement to you. A reminder that you don't have to have it all together before you can be used by the Lord, before he can call you to himself. Peter denied Jesus three times. Thomas disbelieved and demanded proof of Jesus' resurrection, right? Unless I see his hands, unless I can touch him. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And all the rest of these guys, except for John, were cowards who fled when Jesus was arrested and crucified. This is not the all-star team, folks. Is this the kind of company you would want to associate if you were given the responsibility of choosing a kingdom-building team? If you were given the task to go out and change the world? You wouldn't choose these guys. And you wouldn't choose us either, right? You wouldn't choose yourself. From a human perspective, the future of Christianity depends on these men. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't so interested in the human perspective. Part of this quote is on the cover of the worship guide. You don't need to turn there. It's the second half of the quote, but surprise, surprise, I'm going to quote from J.C. Rao in his Luke commentary. He's talking about how how Jesus chose these disciples who were poor, had nothing to offer, He said, there is something deeply instructive in the fact which is now before us. It shows us that our Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom was entirely independent of help from this world. His church was not built by might or by power, but by the spirit of the living God. It supplies us with an unanswerable proof of the divine origin of Christianity. A religion which turned the world upside down while its first preachers were all poor men must needs have been from heaven. If the apostles had possessed money to give their hearers or been followed by armies to frighten them, an infidel, an infidel might well deny that there was anything wonderful in their success. But the poverty of our Lord's disciples cuts away such arguments from beneath the infidel's feet. With a doctrine most unpalatable to the natural heart, with nothing whatever to bribe or compel obedience, a few lowly Galileans shook the world and changed the face of the Roman Empire. One thing only can account for this. The gospel of Christ, which these men proclaimed, was the truth of God. Let us remember these things if we ever strive to do any work for Christ, and beware of leaning on an arm of flesh. Let us watch against the secret inclination which is natural to all to look to money or learning or high patronage or great men's support for success. If we want to do good to souls, we must not look first to the powers of this world. 
We should begin where the church of Christ began. We should seek agents filled with the Holy Ghost. I was so convicted when I read that this week. And it had nothing to do with the coronavirus. It had nothing to do with, are people going to show up this week for church? It had to do with my own idolatry and my own fears about something else related to things happening in the church. And the question I had to ask myself is, do I trust that Jesus is going to build his kingdom in his way with the people he chooses, agents who are filled with the Holy Ghost, or am I going to say, oh crap, this all depends on me, and i got to go out and just do something to make things happen? And that is, a, that is a serious idolatry in my heart. And I was cut to the heart as I read that. And as I look at this passage, and I look at these yahoos, I'm like, that's me, right? And that's all of us. I don't have anything to bring. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not the world-changing person. But Jesus can make all of us into that, right? If we're filled with his spirit. So he calls this ragtag group, right? He calls us to himself. And then he trains us. The second point here, training the kingdom building team. He trains them by showing them. He models ministry to him, to them. So Jesus here is he's modest, modeling in verses 17 to 19. He's modeling ministry to his disciples. Notice in verse 18 there it says that people came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. One of the things that we emphasize around here, if you've been around here very long or you go through our membership class, we talk about a holistic approach to ministry. We talk about head, heart, and hands, right? How we have to be engaged in all three of these areas. With our head, we need to hear from Jesus, right? We need to know what he says about what life in this new kingdom is like. But it's not just that we come and just cram our brains with a bunch of information, right? It's not just memorizing some stuff or having all the right answers, Because information alone doesn't unify the church and doesn't help our witness to an unbelieving world. The information from Jesus, the truth about what it means to follow him, that information needs to penetrate our hearts as well, right? It needs to go from here to here. And we need to be changed. Our affections need to be stirred. Our idolatries need to be exposed And we need to ask, what am I ultimately hoping in and what am I desiring in my life? And look around right now. Look around the world. As we see people struggling to come to grips with the realities of this microscopic virus that we can't control and we can't see. Then look at our own hearts. What idolatries is God exposing in your heart, in your life? What idolatries is he exposing in mine? We need to ask those questions. And when you ask that question, don't say, okay, okay, and ignore it and just sweep it under the rug, right, and put it to the side. Run to Jesus for healing because he's the only one who can fix your broken heart. Run to him for rest because he's the only one who can give it to you. Run for him for peace and encouragement when it feels like the world around you is just spinning out of control. That's been the message. That's been the reality for Christians From day one, from the very beginning, there's nothing new. This isn't the first time the world's been on edge, right, of something that we can't control. It's not the first time we've experienced anxiety. We need to be reminded that this world is not our true home. And that in it, we will have trouble. 
Jesus promised us that, right? You will have trouble in this world, but there is a way to survive in this crazy world. And Jesus lays out that survival plan. He lays out his call to discipleship here in this sermon, beginning in verse 20 with the Beatitudes and the woes, and then running through the end of chapter 6. So today and the next three Sundays, we'll be taking a closer look at this call to discipleship here in Luke 6. And this is Christianity 101. This is about as basic as it gets for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You see some similarities here between Matthew, Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. Uh, in Luke's gospel here, we call it the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus comes down and is on this flat place. Uh, Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Luke, Luke's version here is significantly shorter than Matthew's version, which takes up parts of three chapters. Uh, I don't want to get bogged down into the differences between the two. You can go read volumes uh, on that. Um, and then there's debate whether this is the exact same account. Um, I don't think it really matters. I don't think Jesus only taught these things one time. So I'm guessing, you know, he probably went around and, and taught these things at different, these same truths of the Beatitudes at different points. So however, whatever way you line up, and there's good scholars on both sides, um, I think the emphasis here is not on nitpicking those differences, but it's on Jesus teaching about what life in the kingdom of God looks like for those that he chooses and calls to follow him. So the call to discipleship begins with a proper orientation to the world around us. It answers the question, to which kingdom do you belong? And this is the number one teaching in Jesus, or the number one question in Jesus' teaching here. It's one that every one of us must answer. And then everything else that we look at, it all flows out of answering this question. So all the how-tos of the Christian life need to flow out of answering this one question. If you're taking notes or if you only want to write down one thing, write this down. To which kingdom do I belong? And that's what Jesus is going to address here in the rest of Luke chapter 6. So let's see how he trains this kingdom-building team as he begins to teach them by telling them about life in the kingdom. That's the third point, training the kingdom building team, tell, starting in verse 20. So Jesus' sermon here, uh, this sermon on the plain, begins as he figuratively holds up this two-sided coin, blessing on one side, woe on the other side. And he's going to list these four different things and and explain them to us. So remember, Jesus is preparing his disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And this is where it all starts. This is their training ground. This is the first lesson that he's going to give them as his disciples that he's called to himself. So they've got to get this straight. And what Jesus is going to do here, he's going to drop a new kind of wisdom on them. Uh, Beatitudes were not something that, were, that Jesus made up. It was actually a thing in the Greek culture. There were sayings that were like this, blessings and woes. Um, obviously goes all the way back to, to Old Testament um, wisdom literature in a lot of ways. But Jesus here is dropping a new kind of wisdom on them. This, this isn't simply like wisdom from the Proverbs in the Old Testament where it just gives us good advice for life. There is some of that in here, but it's more than that. One scholar says that these New Testament Beatitudes contain sacred paradoxes and that the power of the statements lies in their reversal of all human values. That's not something that was common in the secular Beatitudes. Jesus is, so he's doing this 
He's kind of flipping everything on its head. So he's literally saying to his disciples, there's one way that you've been looking at life in this world and in the world to come. And again, I'm going to flip all of that upside down and help you look at it from a completely different perspective. So the big focus of Jesus' teaching here, and then what's the paradoxical nature of it, it focuses in on the life in the world to come part. He's focusing them on what is to come. Again, this same scholar, here's a big word for you, calls this an eschatological proclamation. Eschatological is eschatology. It's the focus, it's the theology of the last things. So talking about death and judgment and the world to come. That's what eschatology is. So he's saying Jesus is making an eschatological proclamation here. He's talking to them about things that are, are, that are to come. He's not just saying, here's what you need to live in the here and now. He's saying, you need this to live in the here and now, but this is preparing you for something that is to come. So Jesus is providing both eschatological proclamation and eschatological consolation or comfort. He's providing here spiritual comfort for his followers in this life um, and then reminding them of the glories of the life to come. So the, the, the comfort in this life is being reminded that there's worldly comforts and then there's comfort that we can take as believers, but it's all ultimately pointing forward. So again, this two-sided, this two-sided coin, blessing on one side, woes on the other side, and all four of these statements mirror each other. So we're actually going to look at them in pairs. So the blessings are going to describe how to be happy in this life and in the next. And the woes are going to describe how to be miserable in this life and in the next. And we'll see how the paradoxical nature of those comes out to play. So we're going to look at them again in pairs. uh, But first, let's look at the meaning behind each of these pronouncements. First, how to be happy in this life. He repeats here four times, blessed. And that word blessed also means happy. It's the same word that's translated in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? We talked about that earlier this summer when we looked at Psalm 1, that that word means happy. And we talked about there's a legitimate scriptural call to be happy in this life, to be happy in the Lord, right? To be blessed by the Lord, to walk in his ways. So Jesus is talking here, I think, kind of piggybacking on that theme of the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked, that there are two ways to live, that there are two paths to walk on. There's there's the path of this world, and then there's, there's the path of God's kingdom. So we all have that choice, which of those paths we're going to walk on. And again, that question, to which of those do you belong? To which kingdom do you belong? Do you belong to this world, or do you belong to God's kingdom? So that's how to be happy in this life and the next. Second, how to be miserable in this life and the next. And that he introduces with the word woe. And woe means disaster or horror. And the meaning behind the Greek word, is you could say how greatly one will suffer or what terrible pain will come to one who does such and such a thing. So again, this has, also has eschatological or end times significance. This is not just feel good advice for the here and now. In other words, the kingdom of God and heaven are real. And hell is real. And you don't want to end up in the latter. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else did. And he's dead serious about it. So these woes here are not just like, hey, you might not want to do that. It's like, no, this is, your soul depends upon this. So what is the message then to his disciples? The message that they were to clearly go out into the world and to proclaim 
The message that we as a Christian church have been entrusted with and that we are to proclaim to the world around us here still today. First, don't put your hope in the things of this world because this world is not your home. Verse 20, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. This isn't only talking about material poverty. Um, Scripture makes that pretty clear in a lot of different places. Um, And we do also know from Matthew's Beatitudes that in Matthew's Beatitudes it said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is going beyond just material poverty. Blessed are you who are poor, poor in spirit. The woe then in verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation You have received your comfort in this life. And I don't think the issue here is just having money or not having money. But the reminder is that our hope is not in our money or what our money can provide. Money can't buy you the kingdom of God. So don't trust in money. Money can buy you comfort in this life. But it is a false God. And don't trust in it. The second one, don't put your hope in earthly comforts and satisfactions. Verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Jesus uses the language of hunger and fullness here because that is a daily reality that that is the most relatable picture of dependence on something outside of us to sustain us. Jesus could have used a bunch of different metaphors for this, right? He could have talked about breathing. He could have said, blessed are those who always have enough oxygen to breathe. But we're not actually thinking about that moment by moment, are we? He could have said, blessed are those who get a good night's rest, which we certainly need. But we do that once a day. And even though sleep might be a big issue for some of us, that's not the appropriate metaphor here. Food is, right? You wake up in the morning, and how do you feel? Hungry, right? I want some food. And then maybe you go to work four or five hours later, lunchtime rolls around. How are you feeling? Again, hungry, right? Your body is reacting. And then you go home and it's dinner time, and what is on your mind? Food, right? At least three times a day, right? And obviously we've been kind of trained in that way, but we need food, right? We need food continually. We need to be nourished. We need to be sustained from something outside of us that we can't control, that we need to work for, right? We need to work to get it. I mean, it might not be hard to, like, throw some Easy Mac in the microwave, and, but it, it still takes a little bit of work, right? It doesn't just happen, right? You can breathe oxygen all the time. You can just lay down whenever and take a nap. You need to work to get food. And this idea of being hungry is, is being dependent on something outside of yourself. So just like the blessed are the poor, this is not only about physical hunger, though. <clears throat> blessed are the hungry goes beyond how our bellies respond to lack of food. But the, the metaphor is appropriate. Again, in Matthew's Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So should our, when our bellies are hungry, should that cause us to think about Well, I'm hungering for more than just food. Jesus is telling me that I need to hunger for more than just food, right? I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
There's something more beyond this physical reality that I need to be thinking about and that Jesus is trying to point me to. The promise in both of these cases, in Matthew and in Luke, is that those who hunger for those things, those who are hungry, whether it's physically, spiritually, they shall be satisfied or filled. On the flip side of the coin, the woe is for those who are full now, verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. The message for the followers of Jesus is to fill yourself up with the things that he has to offer, not the things that this world has to offer. And the message for the person who only wants the comforts that this world has to offer is that you will one day end up empty and unsatisfied. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come. This woe, this warning, that this is what you're going to get if you go down this path, this has eternal consequences. Jesus is not messing around here. The third one is don't put your hope in earthly happiness. The third blessed, second half of verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Life in this world is hard. You're going to be sad. You're going to get sick. People around you, friends and loved ones, are going to die. And you're going to die one day. But guess what? You can laugh in death's face. You can say with David in Psalm 30, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Do we respond that way when we have some inconveniences, when we can't go out, when we can't do the things we've been doing? Do we say, oh Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever that I'm not able to enjoy all the satisfactions of this life. I know that hasn't been my reaction. And that's the goal, isn't it? Eternal, joyous praise to the glory of God. If you're a Christian, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus right now. If you're a Christian, let the world around you laugh now. Because the joy that this world has to offer is only temporary. And if you're not yet a Christian, Jesus' warning here about mourning and weeping is no light-hearted warning. If you persist in unbelief now, your soul will reap the disastrous consequences in the life to come. Hear and heed that warning. Finally, do not put your hope in the praise of others. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus lists four things that should not shock us as Christians. When the world hates us, when the world excludes us, when the world reviles us and the when the world spurns our name as evil and note what it says on account of the son of man it doesn't say when you post something political on facebook that has nothing to do with the gospel and people attack you that they're attacking you for your faith right that they're attacking you on the account of son the son of man 
It's not saying that when you're a jerk to people and you're needlessly offensive and you say, well, Jesus was offensive. Yes, at times he was, right? And he could be because he was the perfect son of God. He was without sin. And if you don't agree with my assessment, just keep reading the rest of this chapter. Okay, I'm just going to say this. I believe the church in America right now has a lot to learn about living in such a way that hatred, exclusion, reviling, and spurning of our names as evil are actually on account of the Son of Man and not for other reasons. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail right now, but if you want to talk to me about that after service, I would be more than happy to talk to you about that. Jesus then gives us the first commands in this section. Rejoice. This is an imperative, okay? This is a command. It's not a suggestion. When all these things happen, when people talk about you this way, rejoice. And what? Leap for joy. Remember when we read about how uh, John the Baptist leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb? That's the exact same wording here. Leap for joy. For behold, what? Your reward is great in heaven. Again, the promise is of a future hope and a future reward. Don't live for the praises of others here on earth because your reward is in heaven. It's in hearing your heavenly Father say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that the praise that you want to hear? And if you're only living for the hope of others speaking well of you, then woe to you, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So we've seen Jesus here. He's chosen his kingdom-building team in prayerful dependence upon the Father. Then we've seen him begin to train them by first showing them what life in this kingdom looks like, and then by telling them what life in the kingdom looks like. And the crazy thing is that this plan has not changed for 2,000 years. Jesus calls us to himself and to his team. He opens our eyes to see the reality of who he is. He opens our eyes to see our desperate need for deliverance and rescue from sin and death, which he alone can provide Then he opens our eyes to the truth of his word. He shows us, he tells us what life in the kingdom is like. But this isn't just your best life now, Christianity, that Jesus offers us. It's come and die and lay down your life because there's a better reward waiting for you on the other side. And it's worth it. Don't hope in the temporary earthly comforts that don't ultimately satisfy and as we read through the gospels jesus is continually trying to get us to fix our eyes on the age to come right in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world and that points us to that future hope i'm gonna close us here i'm gonna pray And then we are going to sing a song. It's a new song that we haven't introduced yet. It's in our new songbooks, which, Lord willing, are going to be ready pretty soon. I'm almost done editing it. Um, 
This is going to be a song of response. The lyrics are, are printed there on the insert. Is he worthy? It's a song that helps us to focus our eyes on what is to come. To focus on the kingdom that is to come. And to remember the reality of, of life in this world. The challenges and struggles of life in this world. But the glories that are to come. So let me close this in prayer. And then we will sing, Is He Worthy? Father, thank you for these reminders. Thank you for the reminder of the ragtag group of disciples that Jesus told, told, that Jesus called and sent out to go turn the world upside down. Thank you that we walk in their footsteps. Thank you that we are your ambassadors here and now to go out into the world and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the reminders of what we've seen from this passage, what the call to discipleship looks like, what the reality is of the difficulties of life in this world, and that our hope is not in the things of this world. God, may our eyes look to our future reward. May we look to what is awaiting us. May we live by faith uh, in this life when we can't see everything clearly. And God, may you strengthen us. May you send us out from here to be your ambassadors and to share this hope with the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing, Is He Worthy? This song, we're going to sing it as a call and response in the verses. Uh, I'll be singing the question and we'll be responding with, we do, it is, and he does. And Lexi's going to be singing that along with you. And then in the choruses, both chorus one and chorus two, we're going to sing those all together. Um, I know many of you know this song, but if you don't, that's okay. Uh, You should be able to catch on, especially in the verses. Uh, The response parts are, are fairly simple. So let's go before our God and worship. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? It is. It's the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. 
Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. He is. Be seated. Well, He is worthy. And that picture there of the lamb, the lion of Judah conquering the, the grave, him op- breaking the seal, opening the scroll, comes from the book of Revelation. And particularly that, that language of him being worthy comes from Revelation chapter 5. And I think that's a fitting picture in light of what we talked about, right? In light of these blessings and woes that point us forward. And there's another picture later on in the book of Revelation that it's very fitting as we think about coming to the Lord's Supper this morning. And that is in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what John writes. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roaring of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. 
Blessed. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We come here this morning as a picture of what is to come. This is a foretaste of that marriage supper of the Lamb that we are invited to if we are in Christ, that we will experience for all of eternity. This is not just eating some bread and drinking some wine or juice and saying, well, that was nice. This is our God coming to meet with us, coming to confirm his promises to us. This table is open for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Anyone who has said, yes, those, those blessings and those woes, that call to discipleship, what it means to be a Christian, I have responded to Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. If that is you, if you are someone who is in good standing in a gospel preaching church, you are invited to come to the Lord's Supper. And if you're not there yet, if you're unsure about this whole Jesus thing, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. But we would ask you at this time to not come forward. Uh, for those who, children who are not taking communion, we'll pray for them. Again, I said in our email announcement that we have cut the bread up into individual pieces so we're not all tearing off the same piece for health concerns. If you uh, feel like you don't want to come forward because of uh, health concerns, that's totally fine, and you, you're welcome to remain in your seats. If I could have the elders, or the, the, those who are helping to serve, um, come forward at this point. On the night he was betrayed, our Savior took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Let us pray. Father, we are reminded of the sacrifice of your son on the cross for us, of his body broken and his blood poured out. We look back in faith at that sacrifice. We look forward in hope of the resurrection and the marriage supper of the Lamb. God, as we wait, we ask that you would give us hope that you would give us perseverance in the midst of the trials of this life, that you would give us, give us faith to see you for who you are, to lift up our eyes, to worship you, to live our lives for you. And Lord, that we would be unified as a body, that we would be sent out from here as your witnesses to a world that needs the hope of the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our last song. This is Blessed Be Your Name, but I do not know the number. So, 70, 17, 17. So let's stand together and sing.
Just a couple of quick reminders before the uh, benediction. Uh, I forgot to mention, there is hand sanitizer as you come in on the wall uh, in the entryway there. There's some as you go into this area here too. Uh, we do still have the snack table available. Everything is individually wrapped, so we don't have any, anything where people are like sharing germs or anything. Thank you, Bill and Martha, for the Costco run yesterday. Um, and uh, yeah, feel free to stick around. Again, just try to remember, you know, elbow bumps and all that stuff. So, all right, receive the benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Trust in the Lord.